I thank you so much for listening to this episode two of the Freelance Epi. This is really just an unscripted, unfiltered, unedited, open journal motivated by my thoughts about how I can do better as an epidemiologist who is finally getting to practice what I was taught 20 years ago after spending probably 20 years as both a manager and actually an editor. So this is my first outbreak, a pandemic. I have vowed not to edit anything. So if I'm out running and uh, you hear noise behind me while I'm recording, that's just how it's going to be. And if I'm home and my sons do crazy things, which they are often doing, then um, there is no re-record. There's no cut. <laughs> this is just me and uh, a mother, wife, and um, living life, trying to do my best and have actually a good time learning and uh, learning from others wonderful mentors who have been with me my whole life. This is another opportunity to learn from them. So a little background that didn't make it into perhaps into episode one so much. Um, I mentioned we're a military family and we actually just moved to Virginia Beach from Japan. So we spent the first wave of the pandemic actually in Japan, finishing up four incredible years there. And now we're living in Virginia Beach and going through wave two. Um, my two boys play ice hockey, and through that, we are um, having the wonderful experience of getting to know this community uh, through ice hockey. And I am trying my best to support the organization through this experience and try to keep the kids playing as much as possible um, while being safe and really trying to do what seems to make the most sense um, at every point in this pandemic. There have been many policy pivots, as you know, um, globally, nationally, locally. So it's a really interesting time and a challenging time to be an epidemiologist. I guess my goal is to not be reviled by March. Uh, if I have in some way made friends, maybe done a better job of communicating um, what epidemiologists do and learned a lot from the public through my friends, the coaches, the players, the parents on our hockey team, what it means to be a science communicator, then this has been a good growth opportunity. So I count myself as extremely fortunate. One thing that I have been doing personally a lot more of while I'm out running is listening to podcasts. And I really, really enjoy that opportunity to hear incredible scientists in their own voices talk about the work that they love to do. As a biomedical communications consultant and editor, usually I'm reading the printed word and very rarely do I actually hear the live voice of a scientist. And so, you know, I'm, I'm realizing that I really appreciate that. I love hearing them in real time grapple with questions. And while policies come across very often as, you know, the, the policymakers and the scientists have all the answers, that's really not what's going on under the hood. Really, they are grappling with questions. While they're experts in their field, if you listen to them in a podcast, um, and I'm just going to throw out uh, a name that I that I really appreciate, it's called microbe.tv slash immune. I think you'll notice that most often they're motivated by questions. And when I talk to scientists, all I have is questions. And it's a really rewarding experience to know that um, they share a love of discovery um, with me and hopefully anyone listening to me also appreciates that and so just know that that's what's going on behind the scenes lots and lots of questions um, i know uh, as a citizen 
living through this, what it feels like to be on the other end is lots of rules and lots of decisions made for me. And it's not really quite apparent that actually what's driving all of that is lots of questions and a desire to do good, desire to not harm um, until more is known. So what you're going to hear next in the little recording that I made while I was out running is my effort to reflect on an experience last night at the hockey rink where I had to um, do my best to thank people for supporting all of the intensive protocols we've put in place, thank them for dealing with the hassle, meet some new faces because I've only lived here two, three months, try to learn their faces, um, you know, above the mask, below the baseball cap. That's hard when you only have eyes and eyebrows to go on. And, uh, you know, just let them know that I'm the face, I'm the person behind the emails that they're getting and that I'm a real human. I really care. I, I do not care for rules a whole lot, but I care about them. And my goal, first and foremost, is to try to keep um, the rhythms of family life through hockey going. And it also occurred to me that, um, you know, if you if you hear a group or an organization saying, you know, I, I have no cases, I have no issues when, in this one place, but I have a lot of issues over here. And I'm really worried about the one that um, seems to have more transmission than I would just suggest that potentially it's a case of detection bias. And that's something that we talk about in epidemiology where for whatever reason, there may be structural things in place, easier access to tests or more interest in tests or, you know, somebody who's recommending or requiring testing. We're just more aware of it, perhaps in one group than in another. Or it could simply be that there's less transmission, but just always bear that in mind um, if you're comparing experiences between groups. So without further ado, thank you so much for listening and um, following along in this second wave journey. And just know that I strongly believe there's hope for the future and let's keep our chin up and try to have a good time. Hey, it's Allie, the freelance epi. It's December 2nd, beautiful afternoon in Virginia Beach out on a jog or things that are not so clear become a little bit clearer and as the sun is setting on the horizon I've had some great conversations with people mentor mine who have promised that there's hope in the future and the hope is coming soon and uh, they think it's summer they think it's summer when we'll be able to think about getting back some normalcy will require nothing happen but you do feel like it is maybe within reach Possibly by the time it becomes 2021, it'll feel closer. But until then, there are some irritating things that we just have to get through. And I know you're tired of hearing that, and so am I. But one of the things I was thinking about today is some races I've run. And I'm not a young runner. And I've lined up against people who are younger, got under armor, you know, tights on, great shoes. I always buy shoes that are on sale, whatever the brand. And... All I know is that I have commitment and grit and a lot of experience running behind me. And you know, I've set out on some 10Ks, not expecting a place. And then, you know, 5K goes by, I'm still in the game. I hear people behind me, I hear them huffing, hear the feet, but I keep those sounds behind me as long as I can. Pretty soon 5K becomes 8K 
and I can still hear them. They're still there. I'm trying to figure out, are they further back? Are they right where they were? Are they closer? And I just hang on as long as I can. I try to do better up the hills. I try to pick up the pace a little bit, especially on the downhills. And you know what? I placed in the top three in a 14K a few years ago after rupturing my ACL and my meniscus. So I know something about myself and I know something about our hockey team here in Virginia Beach. I know that we're a collection of tough people. We are from all over, many of us. We've lived in many places. We've gone through many transitions and changes and challenges. And I know that what matters most of us is keeping our kids in the game they love, keeping our families going through the routines and the motions we love. You know, packing up the gear, cleaning the gear, sharpening the gear, drying the gear, loading the gear, tracking the gear, losing the gear, finding the gear. All of that is actually part of the rhythm of life for us. And if we shut that down, it's just not an acceptable proposition. So I get that. I am 100% there with you. So I feel like in this race against the virus, a formidable opponent, one actually to be admired in some respects for tenacity, ingenuity. I think if we can just hang on and keep those footsteps behind us by following the protocols that will keep us from spreading it, we can actually stay in the game. There are some rules and regulations by states and by our hockey affiliate that we need to follow. There's no way we can reach those folks and lobby in time to change um, to demonstrate what we have in place, the intensive protocols we have in place to keep our kids from being close contacts, as improbable as that might sound. But I would say with 90% assurance, if we can follow the protocols we have in place, our kids really aren't. We may import some COVID from community exposures, just living life, but if we can keep it from spreading, we're doing a great job because we just don't know enough yet about those who are not thought to be at high risk and yet struggle through five days trying to breathe. I've heard these stories right from our own community, including last night. So I know it's worth it. I know many of us will never experience that. We'll never even know somebody who does, but if you talk to enough people, you'll find them. And I know that within our own community, we have had a situation where kids, you know, three kids are just sitting together in the lobby, appropriately spaced, and one of them picks up COVID simply by changing skates out. That was intensive protocol version A before we went to version B in mid-November. So I know that we need to keep adhering to what we have in place in order to prevent that from happening because it spreads quickly. And one of the reasons that bags aren't coming into the locker room is because, or not even into the lobby, is because it's not the bag, right? It's never the bag. It's never, you know, touching this or that. It's never one thing. It's a systems issue. So if you think like a human factors engineer or systems engineer, you just look and you say, you know, if the bag comes in and it's parked in the lobby, then when the kids come off the ice, they're happy. They don't have masks on sometimes. They haven't pulled them back up yet. Everyone's happy, of course, that's how we want them to be. And they see the bag and they plunk down next to it and they start changing. They just follow the habits that are in place. And so it's not the bag, it's about the habits that follow the bag. 
It's about engineering the systems to try to keep us skating. That's all it is. I dislike it as much as anybody, and I think that some of the rules that are in place are disproportionately applied, but the policymakers who are working out these things behind the scenes are like mechanics who are working on my truck at this very moment, which has decided to break twice, and they're doing their best. They're doing their best to apply knowledge and policies to all of us in a simple fashion that's understandable along the precept of first do no harm. They're just doing their best. All of us are just doing our best. So let's keep our chins up. I just tried indoor skydiving and that was one of the things I had to do is keep my chin up. So let's keep our chin up and think about having as much fun as possible and keeping the sound of the footsteps behind us in this race. We can do it, we can do it together. And I am so appreciative of this chance to be there and to try to help. And just remember, I don't like it any more than anybody else. I don't tend to like rules. So my goal is to have as much fun as possible, but first do no harm. All right, until the next episode. Thank you for listening. Send your questions. Follow me if you like it. Sorry I'm out running. That's where I do my best thinking. Talk to you later. If you made it this far through episode two, thank you so much. I hope to get better every time. Thanks for sticking with me. I hope you enjoyed it.